What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> All right, guys, let's just get it going. Hey, uh, they went back. You know, they've went back twice. Oh yeah, to hybrid land. I know some guys down there still tearing them up. I went one time and didn't have any luck, but at at the gate, caught blues. That's right, you told me. All blues. Well, let's get the podcast started. All right. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everybody's doing great. And today's guest, Cody Roden. Hello, everyone. Cody, you've been on before. Mm-hmm. And you were on the Fall Hunting Calling Show on Kentucky Field recently. That's correct. Yeah, I fielded a lot of great small game questions. I appreciate everyone that was able to call in um, and all the information that we were able to get out to everyone. That was awesome. So what are you doing this time of year? So right now I'm finishing up um, our harvest reports for our small game species, <clears throat> finishing up the mass report that I'm hope- hopefully we'll be able to talk about today. Yeah. I'm um, getting ready for our hunting seasons coming in. So when you all that's work-related. When you say you're getting ready for hunting seasons, is that work work-wise? Yeah, work-wise and personally have as you well. Been, have you been uh, hunting yet? So I've been out hunting squirrels a few times um, and I hunted turkeys earlier in the year yeah. uh, for sure. But this fall, gearing up to do some upland hunting. Okay. Um, again, do some quail hunting out on our WMAs um, in the northeast part of the state and out west. Yeah. Um, so I know some guys who are really into the pheasant and quail right now. And like they, when we were dove hunting the public field in Shelby County and they heard the quail, they got all jazzed up about it. And, um, of course, that's private. It's only a dove mm-hmm. field. But I think our quota hunts just got drawn for our pheasant hunts on, like, Yellow Bank and Clay. Mm-hmm. All that happened recently, right? That's correct, yeah. So we have three pheasant quota hunts in the state, um, Yellow Bank, Clay, and Green River, um, W Main. So the first one will be next month in Green River. Mm-hmm. And then in December, Yellow Bank and Clay will go on. And that's three quota hunts That one in Clay is fine. I meant to put in for that. I just now remember. My God, quote 100. Yep, you missed it. Gone. Oh, yeah. no, yeah, you missed it. You missed it. But you can put in every year, um, all month long in September. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about the pheasant quota hunts, it generally takes no preference points. Um, yeah. Just put in, yeah. you don't have to save anything up. Uh, you just put in and, and get some buddies together and head on out there. You walk a lot, but it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it's a blast. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who go out there with dogs, without dogs, with rabbit dogs. I mean, I've kind of seen everything out yeah. there. And so if you're interested, you know, put in and, and get up with some of our um, public land managers and ask questions. Well, I'd kind of like to circle back to some of that here in a little bit, but there's one thing that's been on my mind lately, and that's a deer hunting. So I was hoping I could pick your brain about a couple of deer hunting things. For sure, yeah. So right now, well, I've been going pretty much every day that the wind's good, because this time of year is like when I really start, I mean, I'm excited about it all year long, but when the leaves start changing colors and it starts getting a little bit cooler outside, that's when I like my, you know, I dream about them at night. Mm-hmm. because you can start calling the deer in, and that's what I like to do. Really? Rattling them in? Rattle them in, grunt them in. I mean, they start, I've had a little bit of luck this year. Like, you kind of see them progress towards being aggressive, you know? Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen them just going gung-ho yet. Like, uh, one time last week, I, I rattled, and I had two bucks come in, but they didn't come to me. They just came to the area and started making scrapes. Mm-hmm. So that's telling me that they're kind of thinking about, you know, being aggressive and being dominant towards other deer but they uh aren't really committed yet because if they were they just would have marched straight to me mm-hmm. looking for a fight mm-hmm. but um i wanted to kind of like explain my my setup the way i'm hunting right now and then i wanted to pick your brain about acorns because from what i've heard let's see I, i've watched a couple of videos and things one guy says acorn patterns dominate where the deer are at and that's pretty much this time of year right yeah, for sure. So we're starting to see um, some acorns. And another word we use to describe acorns and hickory nuts and stuff like that is the word mast. Mast crop. Yeah, mast crop. Mm-hmm. And so those are starting to come down out of the trees now, which I'm sure you all have seen, especially uh, if you've been a field. One day I was out there when it was kind of windy. It sounded like it was raining across from mm-hmm. me. Exactly, yeah. And that's that's a great sign for yeah. wherever you're at. That means that you're under some good mass-producing trees. And that's going to be really important this year as we uh, talk more about the mass survey. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's going to be really important. And, you know, the acorn trees in the woods kind of produce cyclical mass. So one year, you know, in, the, in one area they'll produce a lot. The next year maybe not yeah. so much. And then some years maybe none at all. And so um, it's good that you're in an area that you're hearing that. That means you're in a good area. Well, I got lucky because I didn't scout it out. But, um, like, so when I'm in my stand, I'm, I'm set up on a creek, and the oaks are across the creek from me. And I, I kind of like that because it works well with a west wind. Plus, I don't have to worry about putting scent in that area or getting too close. But the deer are moving through 
you know, that area across from me. And I, I mean, I can probably count 15 squirrels at one point in time, just running around the hillside, making all kinds of noise. So I know that there's acorns on the ground there. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not within range of these deer, but I'm hoping that as they start responding to calls better, that I can bring them into range from those oaks up there. Oh, yeah. Now, I have no idea what kind of acorns they are, but I know that the squirrels are definitely eating them. And I've heard that some acorns are better than others at different times in the, of the year, right? Yeah, that's exactly true. So um, in Kentucky, we have a lot of different um, acorn tree species. And so we can break those tree species up into two big groups, yeah. the white oaks and the red oaks. Okay. And so, again, there's a bunch of species of white oaks, so things like chestnut oak, um, uh, mm -hmm. swamp white oak. Burr, I think burr is a... Burr, yes, burrs in the white oak group. Um, and then there's this whole other class or group called red oaks. And so those are like southern red oak, mm -hmm. schumard, um, black oak, things along those lines. And so the white oaks are the things that the animals are going to hit first. Okay. And so those taste better to animals. They have fewer um, chemicals in them uh, called tannins. So tannins mm. are, it's what you see in the water in the fall that makes water turn kind of reddish oh, okay, color and okay. when leaves fall in there. So there's a lot of tannins in the red oak acorns. Yeah. And so usually what animals will do will hit those white oaks first. And a lot of times you know, you'll see squirrels eating those acorns first mm -hmm. um, as opposed to if they find a red oak, they might go cache that one yeah. and let the tannins break down a little bit. And the deer will do the same thing. They'll let the red oaks kind of sit on mm -hmm. the forest floor for a while and then those acorns release more of those tannins, tannins. and make them more palatable and more tasty um, to wildlife. So if I'm seeing the squirrels eating those acorns, there's a good chance that they're probably whites. That's true. Because yeah, I haven't, uh, I'm, I'm not close enough to them to use my binoculars to identify them or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, you know, I, I think that red oaks and white oaks are both falling, right? That's correct. But yeah. the, the, you're saying the white oaks are the ones that are more likely to be eaten by pretty much all wildlife right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. right now, yeah. And okay. eat first, for sure. Do deer ever cache anything? That'd be cool if they did. Yeah, that would be cool. No, I, don't, I don't think so. Maybe like uh, maybe it's possible they remember kind of where yeah. they've been and go back to an area. Because again, like I said, um, and like you said too, a lot of wildlife will skip or pass on those red oaks for now, yeah. and then come back to them later. Okay, this is a little off topic. Did you guys see the video of that grizzly bear that killed the elk? No, oh, in the water. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a little bit. I didn't see the whole. Did thing. you see the photos from the days afterwards? No. Well, that grizzly. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening have seen this video, so I feel like I can talk about it. He chased a six by six bull. What was that? Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah, that's all the, that's all the end of it. Yeah. Well, he chased My wife worked at Yellowstone for two years. So. Oh, cool. Chased this bull elk into the river and I guess drowned it. And then he drug it to the, or he swam it over to the bank and he was eating the carcass and he would cover it with dirt and mud and sleep on top of it. No, and then the next day he would continue eating and he just kept, he kept piling dirt and mud and stuff on top of it. And they said that, you know, he was defending it against all these other bears that were coming in and oh, trying to wow. get it. It was cool to see a bear cache or, you know, store away a uh, mm -hmm. elk carcass like that. Yeah, because they're looking to fatten up out there now, yeah. right? Yeah, that's awesome. That was off topic, but so um, so as far as that game plan goes, just setting up, I know I'm not in range of the oaks. I guess ideally you'd probably want to put yourself between a bedding area and oaks. Cause For sure, yeah. I wouldn't feel very safe hunting right in the, the thicket. You know, I wouldn't want to be right there where the deer are hanging out and actively feeding, and I might get a bunch of deer around me for a long period of time. It might be fun to watch, but probably going to spook them when yeah. I go to draw that bow back. Yeah, so, exactly. So Those I'd say travel corridors, I think, are the best. Um, Especially between, you know, a bedding area and right now a white oak patch that you know is um, raining acorns. And then later, you know, again, um, red oaks will be just as important um, later in the season for sure. Um, and one, one quick easy way to tell um, while the leaves are still on the trees, if you have an oak tree, um, usually red oaks, the leaves will come to a point. And so mm -hmm. if you've got your binoculars, you can throw them mm -hmm. up. If you see the leaves look pointy, okay. then that's probably a red oak tree. That was my next question for you, because obviously on a podcast, it's not like we can show people pictures and say, mm -hmm. hey, this is a, a white oak, this is a red oak. But I was going to ask, is there a way that you can tell them apart, you know, that we could describe? So you're saying yeah. the red oaks have pointy leaves? Pointy leaves, yeah. The, the leaves come to a point at the very end. So think of a single leaf, a single oak leaf. The ends are pointy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's a red oak and the white oaks have... So the more rounded are white oaks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the more rounded both. and they'll be more, they'll kind of look more oblong and have thicker lobes. Is a pin oak a white or a red? Well, it's a white oak. Okay. Mm. Well, a pin oak but, is a white oak? Mm -hmm. I've been misidentifying pin oaks forever because I always thought they were the ones with the real pointy things. I might be... Yeah. So that pointy thing does, 
go both ways. I mean, it's not a, it's a, it's a quick rule. Because the pin oaks yeah. in my back are, have pointies. Because mm -hmm. I've pointies. got a, a nice one in my backyard. So you're, you're saying that rule works for 80% of them? Yeah, 80%. Okay, so it's not like if you, it's not absolutely a white or a red, but mm -hmm. it pretty much. So are there? So we know that pin oaks are red oaks, but they have the pointy leaves, and that might be an exception. Are there any white oaks that have rounded leaves? White oaks do have rounded. Oh, leaves. Oh, so I said yeah. that backwards. Are there any yeah. red oaks that have rounded leaves? Not that I can think of off the top okay. of my head. So pin oak would pretty much be the one that mm -hmm. would be able to misidentify. But for the most part, that rule: yeah. round leaves, white oak, white oak, mm -hmm. pointy leaves, red, red oak. oak. Mm -hmm. And if it's a if it's a rounded leaf, white oak, that's better for the deer and the animals to eat early mm -hmm. when they first hit the ground. I guess it's like dropping gold from the sky exactly. for deer. And then if it has a pointed leaf, red oak is going to be better after it's sat on the ground for a while. Exactly, yeah. These are mm -hmm. things that I think deer hunters, well, I guess all hunters, because, I mean, if you're a small okay. game person, that matters just as much. But I'm, like I said, my mind's in deer hunt mode, so it's hard for me not to think of oh, it. Oh, yeah, with the like, cool weather. And, yeah. yeah. Especially this weekend's looking real good. Mm -hmm. No kidding. Muzzle you over. can feel the edges of that cold front coming through the day. You can really? feel it. Yeah, it's changing. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's talking it may rain this afternoon, which would be... They say it's going to. I'm going to be out there in it, so we'll see. I don't know if I'm really... Rain's a good time to hunt, correct? It probably depends on how hard it's raining. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Cody? I bought, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the last few years. You know, when I was younger and it was raining, I'd kind of stay in the house, figured nothing was moving. But as I get older and go out in the rain, you know, I think you're exactly right. If it's raining hard, I don't think stuff's moving yeah. as much. A light rain. A light rain, it's moving as much or more yeah. than it would Light be rain's normal. great for fishing. I and like, actually for dove hunting. I've had some wonderful oh, dove hunts when too. it's lightly yeah. raining. I, right. love a, I love a drizzle. I like being in the woods for a drizzle or that mm -hmm. light rain. But if it's the kind of rain where it's really coming down hard or the, the wind's howling with it, yeah. I would say no. Because especially deer, I mean, they're using their nose and... Yeah, I mean, they say that animals can smell better when there's moisture in the air, yeah, but but I wouldn't think that a, a downpour would. would help them out at all, especially mm -hmm. with high winds, because that's just, a lot of times with those downpours, you get winds that are kind of unpredictable from one direction or the other, too, and mm -hmm. that's, that's just my thought on it. So I'll be out there in the rain today, if it rains. I think it's supposed to. Yeah. I'll have to look at that. Well, the new news said it was 40 to 60% chance, depending. So what's and a, it showed it coming through. So, so a minute ago, Cody, you said... Um, and when I was talking about knowing where the, which oaks were producing, you said that's especially true with this year's MASH report. Mm -hmm. What do what, you mean by it? Is that good or bad? Yeah, so I think it's good. It's going to be good for hunting. So this year, um, so every year, KDFWR, along with um, a couple of other partners, does a MASH survey. And so this year we got 40 individual MASH routes in 35 counties across the state. And we surveyed a total of 3,320 trees. Okay. 3,000 so, what? 3,320 trees. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a lot. And so and th that wasn't just oak trees. So we also did um, oak trees along with hickories and beech trees as well. And so this year was, was similar. So the way we report these metrics are um, it's kind of an average of how many of the trees in the forest had any acorns or mast, any you know, any acorns, any hickory nuts, any beech nuts yep. at all. So if a tree that had one acorn is essentially the same as a tree that had a thousand acorns for this survey, the way we kind of put okay. this out. And that probably averages out. Exactly. It averages out. And so, so if you got a tree with one acorn, you have a tree with, you know, a thousand, then and you do that over the course of three thousand however many trees, then you're probably mm -hmm getting, you know, really good trees and really bad trees that kind of balance each other out as being right in the middle in some way, right? Right, right. And it's it balances each other out, but we can also detect some trends. So we're trying to look, you know, was this a complete bust or do we have any groceries in the forest uh, yeah. for a wildlife to have? And so this year, again, was pretty similar to last year. So our white oaks were average. Um, our red oaks were good, so a little bit higher than average. Um, our hickory crop was average. And our beach crop was poor, so we had a bad beach nut year. Um, but everything else was kind of on par with last year. Reds were um, better? Reds were better, yeah. Reds were good, white oaks were average. Hickories were average and beach were poor. Yep, beach were poor. So when you uh, say that's going to be good for hunting, in, how do you draw that? How do you draw that conclusion from those numbers? What, what makes you think that? Yeah, and so expanding a little bit on these numbers, you know, the. Um, what I just talked about here, you know, is kind of 
uh, a good 10,000 foot view of what our mass crop is doing in the state. However, if we dig a little bit deeper into the data in our report, um, we're seeing that you know a lot of these trees might have, may have had some mast on them, but they didn't have very much at all. And so again, I think this is going to be good for hunting. And so sometimes this is kind of the opposite of the way you might think about it. But in a poor mast year, the hunting is usually better because they have to focus in. Exactly, and they have to move and movement. To game species usually a lot of times equals you know yeah. being harvested or predated or yeah. something along those lines and so when we have a bad mast year we have good hunting um, and so this year in the report at the 10,000 foot view we kind of have an average year but if we dig deeper what's really happening is there's a few trees that are producing a lot of mast and there's the majority of trees aren't producing very much at all mm -hmm. and so in your case you're talking about you have your uh, tree stand on your spot is in an area that sounds like it's got some pretty yeah, good I mean, trees. it sounds like it's raining acorns when the wind blows. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I don't know how long that's going to keep up, but the other day when I was out there, it was just hitting the ground left and right. That, And I think that there's a lot of people that might see that in the woods too, but there's also a lot of trees that that's yeah. not happening too. So if you, if you can go out there and find areas like that, especially areas like that with other habitat characteristics for whatever mm -hmm. game species you're going after are going to be paramount this year for mm -hmm. sure. Because um, there's not the entire forest doesn't look like what you're yeah. seeing. Well, and it's only that one spot, because, I mean, that's the only spot I've been in that I've heard it. But, um, and that was pure luck. Like, I didn't scout. I knew there were oaks there, but it's not like I scouted that tree in, in August and said, okay, there's a lot of acorns on that one. It, my deer stand's been there for years. Mm -hmm. I just happened to get lucky this year, I guess, with that one tree. Perfect, yeah. So why, why would that one tree produce so much, or why do some trees produce so much, but other ones are doing poor? Does that have to do with the weather, or is it... So there's actually, that's, a, that's such a good question and one that people that research this stuff haven't quite figured out. And so there's kind of a school of thought and we see this kind of broadly, again, 10,000 foot view with our tree species in Kentucky, that there's a, there's a term called synchronous masting, mm -hmm. where all the trees in the forest are going to make the same amount of mast one year to the next. So one year all the trees make a lot, the next year they make a lot, and then one year they make zero. Yeah. And so that's actually a strategy over time developed by the trees to kind of get in front of um, seed predators. So think, mm -hmm. you know, you have a bunch of years consecutive with good mast years. You mm. have a bunch of squirrels, you know, you have a bunch of blue jays, you have a bunch of things that eat those acorns. And then one year, nothing happens. So they produce no mass at all. That kind of cuts think down. I that's fascinating. I was going to ask you about that later. But <clears throat> oh, yeah, for sure. So it's, can the trees somehow detect predation on there or no, is it just no something way. that's just been it's it's that's been just ingrained it's probably a factor of many different things you know weather is definitely a factor in that you know how much moisture we had um in the spring how much moisture we get throughout the growing season um and also you know you know many trees have lived and died in the woods and this is a way that probably helped some trees get ahead of other trees so mm -hmm. if you're a tree that's putting a lot of energy into constantly making mast and seeds and constantly dropping them on the ground for a bunch of squirrels to eat year after year after year you're probably not going to persist in that um, stand for you know eons mm -hmm. right and so that's i think that has something to do with it but again some of this stuff is not really well understood which is pretty interesting so basically back a long 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 time ago there were oak trees or there were trees that produced a a whole lot and there were some trees that just happened to have an off year every now and then mm -hmm. and over time and evolution those trees that had an off year every now and then it, it thrived and the other ones right. eventually through you know evolution just went away right that's what yeah, you're saying so I basically so. probably yeah yeah so it's basically just a genetic trait of the trees that is since self-survival yeah. too correct wouldn't there be an, an element of that in there if if they know okay I every think we're couple of years i think we're getting into the whether trees know things or not yeah, i know yeah. but i mean it, <laughs> what's just fascinating that they, they would somehow through evolution through that Okay, we're chilling this year. Mm -hmm. We've had too many blue jays around. We've had too many squirrels. I'm just not we're sure. Chilling. I believe the trees are cognitive. I know, but I mean, <laughs> but there's there's got to be some mechanism, <laughs> some, yeah. evolutionary wise, in there for them to know to do that. Right, mm -hmm. right, or to do it synchronously. Again, in the synchronous mass thing is something that we don't see. We see kind of very. Uh, regionally, you know, like in one mass survey versus another mass survey, not necessarily like all of Appalachia, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it, it's super interesting, yeah. And then beech nut trees will kind of do, they've added on and even new tactics. So 
what we see with beech nuts is they're kind of, they're very predictable up and down. So one year they'll be bad, the next year they'll be good. One year they'll be bad, the next year they'll be good. Well, that makes more sense to mm -hmm. me yeah, than, uh, than something being synchronized. But get this, so a, on a good year, if you start looking at the mass, the beech nuts that they're dropping, some of them will actually have viable seeds, some mm -hmm. of them will not. And so that's what actually changes in this cyclical synchronous time period. Hmm. And so they're actually they're forming like a, a husk of the nut. So if you look up through your binoculars and look up in a, a beech, American beech tree, you might see a lot of um, beech nuts, but what's really happening is, you know, half, three quarters of those or might placebos. actually have. <laughs> exactly, yeah, they really are. <laughs> I don't, you know, the, thought, the idea of trees being able to observe and think really freaks me out. I know, yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about this yeah, since, yeah. since we talked to you about coming on. It's mm -hmm. just like, I just think this is fascinating. That's oh, terrifying yeah. is what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, no I mean right. you know, if I start seeing a tree reach for me, then I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Lord yeah, of the Rings. Somehow this developed over time that that group, mm -hmm. you know, knows, hey, we got to chill out this year and let the squirrels go to some other stand and wear them out. Exactly. So yeah. my, my question, because a second ago you said blue jays, and I, that kind of got me thinking, what eat, I mean, because I never think about blue jays eating acorns. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw them the, the other night. On, I've got a pin oak in my backyard that's very small acorns. So what all eats acorns? I'm guessing deers, uh, squirrels, raccoons, possums, what am I, I, a fox, coyote, I mean, what all eats them? Yeah, so pretty much everything you listed, um, ducks, it's important Duck, for yeah. ducks at some point tonight. Again, smaller acorns, um, grouse to some extent. Again, we're talking about much smaller acorns, um, not like your huge mm -hmm. red oak acorn. Um, you know, pretty much anything in the woods that can get at this resource, a lot of different um, bird species, again, are big enough to do it. Covids, crows, cr uh, blue jays for sure. Yeah, also um, my... I was like, what is that? And Blue Jay was like, ripping mm. them, and he'd go up to the branch and rip another one off. And nice. Like, yeah. Do the yeah, Blue Jays eat them whole, or do they? Yeah, these are very, no. Again, these are very, very okay. tiny. Mm -hmm. So, okay, yeah, obviously bears and uh, elk. Elk, for sure. Uh, yeah. Bison. I mean, pretty much all the big ones. So, are acorns completely safe to eat? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, um, again, uh, if you're going to eat one, Definitely try to get a hold of a white oak acorn. The red oaks are not. Do you know anybody that eats acorns? I've heard of people doing like um, flour, like acorn flour, and making See, I think, stuff. Did the pioneers ever do that? I can remember like well, yeah. pioneers trying to survive. Did they use acorns? I I'm not that sure. They did. They, but the, I mean, there's you know mortar and pestle artifacts, essentially mortar and pestle with Native Americans grinding all sort of stuff. I mean, mm. um, maize, you know, stuff they grew mm -hmm. as well as you know acorns, making acorn paste and things like that um, to so, cook. So if I'm ever stranded out there, acorns are a you can eat it. Yeah, the food source. You ever had a persimmon that wasn't ripe yet? Oh yeah, makes your mouth all numb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. an old trick. That's the <laughs> only reason I, I really know the uh, effect of tanning is uh, <laughs> yeah, the persimmon. Yeah. One of my buddies uh, here, Chase. There's a persimmon. Uh, yeah. Well, this yeah, one's green, buddy. That one pulled yeah. on me when I was real little. No, it really ah, does. Yeah. Like, it was horrible. Saying it makes your mouth numb is. I mean, like it feels like you went to the dentist and got a Novocaine mm -hmm. shot or something like that. Yeah, like you your whole mouth. You know, those super sour candies, you thought they were bad. They're nothing compared to a, a green uh, percent. Yeah. The, uh, Are those safe to eat too, though? Yeah, so is tannin safe? It's just oh yeah, unpleasant? Tannin's safe, just, yeah, unpleasant. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So I can play that joke on somebody without feeling bad about yeah. it. Oh, That's yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Have them try a red oak acorn and then a white oak acorn and see what they think. Yeah. I never had even thought about it. I have been seeing some ripe persimmons at the ground. Are persimmons part of your mass crop? They are not. So that's, another, that's a great question. And so our mass survey in the state only looks at um, hard mass producing trees in the forest. You know, historically we did um, soft mass, so things like dogwood, persimmon, grape. Some pears um, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we don't keep track of that as we did in the past. Okay. Um, and again, that's more of a, we think of that more as kind of a short-term food resource yeah, out there. Yeah, because it's not going to last long. Exactly. It's not going to last long. It usually gets hit pretty quickly. Um, but it is an important thing, again, for bears and other omnivore species that, that go for that stuff. Or deer, I mean, deer like, uh, you know, persimmons, obviously. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's got to be a per. I would. I think I'd rather eat a persimmon than an acorn. That's just me personally. Yeah, but yeah. I haven't tried the acorn, so maybe I shouldn't. Right. Yeah. It. Yeah. Grind it up a little bit. So pretty much the way I get it, and squirrels and animals like that pretty much live in the woods and don't really leave the woods a whole lot, right? Mm -hmm. But um, deer people, I, I feel like, is the, the October lull. I mean, is that something you've heard of before with deer hunting? No. Well, the, I mean, so. Was, 
pretty much annually the last two weeks of September are the slowest as far as harvest goes um, in the entire state. And that's something that Gabe Jenkins told me and it, it just, we always have less harvest in the, that time of the year than any other time. And I've always kind of attributed it to the deer are going, they lose their velvet bachelor groups, break up, they go nocturnal, they kind of stay that way until, you know, they start getting the pre-rut going on then they start moving a lot more. But could it have something to do with acorns dropping? Whereas people had gone out and scouted deer and patterned deer to these crop fields. And as the soybeans start to turn yellow and turn brown and the acorns are dropping in the woods, maybe the deer just aren't moving as much. They're staying in the woods instead of coming out in the open. Yeah, I could definitely believe that. I mean, that's right when a lot of our mash, hard mass trees are dropping um, their seed on the ground. And so, yeah, I could Because that makes sense to me. Earlier you were talking about how movement usually causes more harvest or predation. But um, if those if those animals don't have to move as much because they don't have to leave the woods to get their food, then mm -hmm. it makes sense to me that the acorns could actually be a reason for less harvest in, mm -hmm. uh, during that lull period because it does kind of line yeah. up with when when the acorns are dropping. I'm assuming yeah. I'm no I'm no acorn expert, but pretty much they're dropping what dates what what days are you looking yeah, for? Yeah, like middle late September all the way into to the fall. Okay. Um, and again, yeah, if, it, if it's anchoring them anywhere, especially in that early mass drop, again, that the wide, like you're saying, it's raining down, you know, they're going to be in there for sure. Yeah. Hmm. And not moving much, or trying not to anyways. As far as factors that influence movement, do you think food's pretty much the, the biggest one? I think so, yeah. I and, think so a lot of times. And if, I mean, acorns are the, the most preferred food source of a deer, would you say? I'm not sure about that, honestly. They, they're I think they're it the most depends. preferred? I think it would have to be up there for sure, especially historically, you know, before any row crop was existed on the landscape, you know, especially seasonally, like around this time of year. Like you said, gold falling from the sky, you know, yeah. they got to be going after that pretty hard. So, you know, deer um, need different things in their diets at different times of the year. That's why a mineral block isn't going to do anything for you this time of year because mm -hmm. they were really building minerals in the spring and the summer. And then once, you know, the velvet's hard on their antlers, I, th I feel like they're looking for fattier foods this time of year mm -hmm. to help them get ready for winter. So mm -hmm. as far as fat content and things like that go, are acorns pretty high? Oh, yeah, little? yeah. There's a lot of fat content in seeds in general, especially hard mass seeds um, in the in the east. And one thing, too, you know, and I'm sure you probably know more about this than I do, but the, you know, deer do have a ruminating gut. You know, and so they have bacteria in their gut that help them process. I don't think I know more about that than you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what the guts smell like when you pop them. Yeah, that gets in your own system, you know. Ugh. But um, so they have a ruminating gut where there's bacteria in there. Like we hear a lot about gut flora, people talking about drinking kombucha and mm -hmm. stuff like that, you know. And so deer really, they do have gut flora that help process any foods they take in. And so once they get on a certain food, you know, their gut flora kind of gets. Um, equated with that food source to be able to process it the most efficiently. Yeah. So if they're eating acorns, you know, they're going to be eating acorns and that gut flora is going to be tuned to processing um, a hard mast seed, you know. That's kind of why they say that if people feed deer corn and then they quit putting the corn out, that it could be hard on the deer. Is that is that right? Exactly, yeah. And so especially if it's a time when they wouldn't normally be eating corn or yeah. something like that, you know, so, some high starch. Yeah, explain more of this to me, because that's pretty interesting to think about their digestive systems adapting. I guess, I mean, some of those things that they're eating probably are pretty hard to digest. Mm -hmm. So that's probably why they develop that. Whereas we, like I eat salmon and, or steak or beef or pork, you know, like I'm constantly eating different things. So I guess, exactly. it, but mm -hmm. as far as a, an animal in the wild goes, I mean, they pretty much are keyed in on on a seasonal, yeah, on a seasonal yeah. food item. So it's, I like to think about it a lot, and I don't know, I get this, the older I get, you know, I, when I was a kid, I'd, you know, you'd sit down to dinner and always have a glass of milk. I've essentially stopped drinking milk, I just don't do it anymore. But if I have a glass of milk now, it kind of makes my stomach upset a little bit. Mm -hmm. And lactose tolerance and mm -hmm. intolerance and stuff like that, your body does get a, a, a tune to processing certain foods. Like you just said, if you eat a bunch all the time, you know, you're kind of, you're not, you're not only eating fish when the salmon run's going on, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, you're eating fish all year long, and so your body, again, is able to efficiently process all that stuff. And deer and wildlife are even more to the extreme, because they do rely on seasonal food sources, like we talked about soft mass, mm -hmm. um, hard mass, you know, in the winter, you know, they're eating more woody stems and things along those lines. Um, when there's not green herbaceous material around for them. And so, yeah, their gut uh, flora definitely follows those food sources throughout the year. Okay. And you said mm -hmm. a minute ago when I talked about popping the stomach on accident, mm -hmm. you said 
uh, very excitedly, you said, you know, that actually gets into your system. And then you jumped off topic, and mm -hmm. I can't move past that. I have to know what mm -hmm. you meant. Um, so, yeah, this is actually something that I heard about and then I s swear actually exists. So they have this gut flora in their stomach, and um, if you pop their guts, you know, Before, that kind of gets... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but gut flora. So that's what we just talk talked about, but can you tell me exactly what gut flora is for people who... I mean, because I honestly yeah. am not sure I can play. It's bacteria? I mean, mm -hmm. Right, yeah, exactly. It's just bacteria in their guts that aid in the process of digestion. That's what the whole probiotic craze the is probiotics, about. The probiotics, yeah, exactly, yeah, probiotics. People are going nuts right now about probiotics, you know. To replace those in your Yeah, guts. eating yogurt and stuff like that, things that are bacteria-rich foods. And so, you know, most, 99% of bacteria actually, like, benefit us, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so wildlife are the same way. <laughs> and deer especially, and, and cattle and a lot of ungulates um, have these ruminating stomachs where they have a lot, they really rely on that um, gut structure to, to process the things that they eat. And so if you pop the gut on accident when you're field dressing a deer, um, some of that stuff can maybe get in the get in the immediate area of that animal, you know, in the air. And if you inhale or take in any of that stuff, pay attention during the next time that you pass gas, it might smell like that gut pile, and that's because the gut floor inside of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, hey. hey, pay attention to it and see if it happens. I've, I've I heard actually that. heard people uh, describe that happening before. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I've heard people tell me stories that actually line up with what you're talking about and right now. And that's due to you're taking in some of that gut flora does into it, your own body. But it's, it's not, passing through. It's not harmful to you or anything. No. Like I said, you know, bacteria get a bad rap, especially in the days of COVID. Might be that's harmful to the person right. riding in the car with you. Exactly. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Man, that's interesting. <laughs> that is. So the probiotic bacteria good that kind of grows on a three-day-old tuna fish sandwich. Not, so, not good. so good. Yeah, not so good. Not you can so get your good, probiotics exactly. right there through being uh, clumsy with a knife, cutting a deer. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should get that going, yeah. The selling, point. selling point on being a deer hunter. <laughs> probiotic. Like that. no. That's killer. That's I, didn't, I didn't know that. No, but I mean, as far as that, I'm, I'm glad you said that I, don't, I, don't, I definitely don't want to unnecessarily scare away any deer hunters, but knowing that it's completely, you know, don't pop the stomach, first of all, but it's not going to hurt you at all. No, um, no. But we are getting ready to, uh, probably, because this is up in the air, there's a couple of factors that go into it, probably produce a new uh, updated um, field dressing video and oh, nice. deer processing video and things like that. Obviously, we've got to get a deer on the ground and we... Right. It's not something we're going to do in-house. We want a real a real expert, a butcher, to come out and show us all the cuts and how to go about it. So we have mm -hmm. to you know, work with people's schedules and stuff like that. But yeah. talking about field dressing a deer and popping the stomach, uh, uh, I thought I'd throw that out there to, you know, we're going to, it's on the schedule. Awesome. It's something to look at in the future. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the gutless method. I don't know yeah. if you guys have done that mm -hmm. much. We did a magazine article. I think Brian Clark did it. Oh, nice. A couple so years ago. Describe it to me, because I think it's probably what I use on 90% of mine, but I'm not sure if it is or not. And so you essentially, um, when you get a deer down, um, you start, you roll the deer on its side, and you cut down its back, mm -hmm. and pull one side of the hide off. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. And then you take, yeah, take the roast. That's probably what I do about 90% of the time. No um, uh, the only The only downside of that is that you don't get the inner loins, right? Is there a you way can, to get the inner loins? You can get the inner loins. I've not done it successfully yet and by successfully I mean I've got them out but they're kind of mangled um, but you can take your knife and punch through the rib cage mm -hmm. cut in there and then get your hand in there and then pull the airline line out okay. um, but it's it hasn't been easy for me to do yeah mm -hmm. on some uh, smaller deer that you know have just been out there like right at dark um, shot them and I'm out there in the middle of the woods by myself and it's dark and I got to get this meat back and I can't get a vehicle close a lot of times I'll use that method and if it's a smaller deer I'm thinking those inner loins are going to weigh, you know, less than a pound. Um, so I, I've done what I had to do to get the rest of the meat out there pretty quickly and sacrifice those going with that method. But I do like it. And maybe next time I'll try to figure out a way to get those inner loins out. Mm -hmm. I need to kill a deer, guys. I'm just realizing all my yeah. gutting and everything that I'm thinking about is coming off things that happened to me uh, years ago because <laughs> this year has not been good for me so far. No kidding. Well, I think that makes us – I haven't killed a deer yet either. Lee, have you been out? No, but that this Indian summer, I think, is killing us. You know, we've had yeah. unusually warm weather. Mm -hmm. I think it's hurting a lot of, of different things. You so, know, 
you know, the hybrids in the Ohio rivers, every other fishing trip I've been on the last month has been very lean. Mm -hmm. So they are uh, really tearing them up in the salt right now. Yeah, that's what I had that on my notes. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I got a fresh report yesterday. Oh yeah, they're out there. Have you been? I haven't been, but it's on the list of things to do. I've kind of, you know, stuck in this deer hunting mode I keep talking about. If it's a good, I mean, basically the wind is the only thing that's going to let me go fishing. Because mm -hmm. if the wind's right, I'm, I'm going to be deer hunting. And if the wind's straight out of the east or something, I'll probably go fishing. But, you know, wind out of the east can be kind of dicey for... I mean, that's one of the few old wives' tales It's true, is wind out of the east, fish bite least. Yeah, wind, out, the, yeah, wind, wind out, out of the west, fish fight best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah, and that, I mean, there's a lot of things that go with wind out of them. I mean, you can switch that up for fishing and hunting. And my whole idea on that is I just don't think deer like to move in the east wind because it's they set their travel patterns up and they get, you know, their bedding area, the food source. They know what to do based on the most consistent wind we have, which is typically going to be out of the west in some way. So when the wind's doing the opposite, I just feel like deer are like, you know what, I'm going to wait till dark. Yeah, it's kind of weak yeah. out. I don't like so, um, Lee, what do you have written down? And, and Cody, what do you want to talk about? Because I've kind of picked your brain about deer hunting and mass crops, and mm -hmm. I actually learned quite a bit so far. So, overall, did yeah, we talk about average? I mean, so when we have average numbers, that means deer are going to move more. It should be a more productive season. But how yeah. how does this impact like squirrel hunting? You've been out a few times. How does this impact squirrel hunting? Yeah, thanks for asking, Lee. So yeah, I've been out a few times, and like I was mentioning before, kind of our ten thousand foot view is average, similar to last year. But when we dig deeper into the data, we're seeing that you know there's a few trees that are producing a lot, but most trees are producing very few acorns, or hickory nuts and beech is pretty much a wash this year. And so squirrel hunting early, you know it. We were walking around a lot, you know, looking up at the trees and not seeing much until, you know, we got to that one hickory tree in and the then, woods that was loaded. And then there's there's three or four squirrels in one tree, you know. And so I'd say, you know, to people getting ready to go afield, you know, either get lucky, um, for sure, that's a good tactic. But um, getting out there and trying to figure out which where that one tree is that's loaded with mass mm -hmm. is going to be is going to be a good tree to sit on because uh, the next one's probably not going to have much. It's on. easier when you're squirrel hunting, in my opinion, because you're on the move yourself, mm -hmm. or you oh, can yeah. be. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to walk around and see a lot of the I woods. Think it's funner after the leaves drop and you can use your twenty-two. Oh that's yeah, a, I agree. It's with that. cold. I agree with that. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so say an ac say an oak starts dropping acorns, right? How long is it going to drop for? Does it does a one oak typically drop for a week or a month, or is there any signs to that at all? Depend That's on a good wind? question. I'm sure that that is that is well known. I'm not sure off the top of my head. It does depend on you know like uh, when we we talk about like the leaves hanging on and yeah. rain and wind and stuff. It definitely depends on factors like that. Whether um, factors when they're dropping mass, you know, obviously more wind and rain is going to pull more mass mm -hmm. out of the trees. So like two years ago, I remember fall was non-existent because as soon as the leaves were ready to, you know, they started changing colors, we had a wind storm come through. Mm -hmm. so, and then it was like, well, it's winter all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. So okay. you're, so I guess it makes sense for the the acorns to hang on kind of like the leaves do if it mm -hmm. and I guess moisture probably helps oh, yeah. if it dries out they're probably going to fall quicker mm -hmm. yeah Definitely. that makes sense I was I just had curious some in late August maybe you know seeing yeah it seemed, and I, we, a lot of people are seeing that on their mass surveys in the state as well as you know undeveloped green mass coming out of the trees mm -hmm. and um, that again is probably due to weather um, it could have had something to do with if you guys remember that really late freeze pretty much in central Kentucky. We had a late yeah. freeze, you know, um, in the spring. And that doesn't seem to have hurt the mass crop as bad as I would have thought. I mean, when that was happening, I was like, oh, man. I no. know some people lost their tomato plants and stuff. And oh, yeah. I, did I put mine plan. out the next weekend and we were okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I lost everything I put in my little raised beds. I mean, it just smoked it. It was mm -hmm. crazy. But, you know, I think it, and I've heard of people saying their persimmon trees lost all their leaves and stuff like that. But they're still getting uh, soft mass off those trees, you know. So it's important to remember, you know, if something like that happens one or two days in the spring, we're probably good. If that happened for a week straight, mm -hmm. we'd be in some trouble, I think, mass-wise. Um, but trees are very elastic. You know, they can bounce back, grow new leaves um, pretty regularly. So you know quite a bit about trees, Cody. Do you feel comfortable saying yes on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, probably, yeah. So I had a, so one time I was curious, and I asked my buddy, I said, I asked him, you know, the tree, I'm looking at this huge, uh, it was an elm. It was like European elm or something like that. Is that Siberian right? elm, maybe? Yeah, it, it was not, it was a, it was an elm from another country as the first. <laughs> and uh, it was this giant tree and I was looking at it and I asked him, uh, you know, is it pulling nutrients and things from the soil to form all that? 
you know, mass, or, and he said it's pretty much all carbon pulled from the, mm -hmm. pulled from the air. Does that make sense? Is that true? And so, yes and no. So it needs carbon for the process, for photosynthetic processes. Mm -hmm. And so it does bring that in from little tiny pores in the leaves. Um, but as far as nutrients goes, so when we think of carbon, that's kind of like, um, that's, uh, that's like the oil in your car. You yeah. know, it needs to be there to, to run. Um, but as far as like nutrients, like phosphorus, nitrogen, other things like that, it is pulling a lot of that from the ground okay. um, as far so, as nutrients go. So, so I, my thought was I'm looking at this tree that, let's just say, weighs 10,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. That 10,000 pounds came from somewhere, mm -hmm. right? So is that 10,000 pounds out of the ground around it, or is that 10,000 pounds pulled from the air? I mean, I'm trying to figure it's out. It's all the above. Yeah, and so it's pulling, they're pulling carbon and making more carbon through that process and storing that carbon in the structure of the tree. So mm -hmm. the tree will pull carbon from the air and in the photosynthetic process make energy to make, essentially make the wood for the structure of the tree. Mm -hmm. And then that along with uh, nutrients from the ground form, you know, the, the heartwood okay. and the bark and the leaves hmm. and stuff like that. So I was just always curious about that because you see these giant trees, but you don't see, you know, concaved earth below them mm -hmm. where they've pulled all the, you know, all this weight out of the ground. So I've always right. kind of wondered where does all that weight come from? Yeah, they essentially make it in the tree. Okay. Yeah, they're making that from the raw ingredients, from the air and from the ground. Over in Midway, we, there's a little stream called Lee Branch. It runs right beside the soccer field. And Bev Jewett, who's been involved with the Kentucky River Watershed Watch, and she's helped volunteer for samplings of you know water quality and all she's pool. She's like, let's quit mowing the riparian zone. See what happens. You couldn't believe all the big blue uh, blue lobelia. Yeah, these really. native that I mean that yeah. had been in the sea bank for you know that's been uh, fescue for right. what you know fifty years and who knows what before because they've mowed it and uh, mowed it and mowed it and then you just left alone and those seeds are still in there that may have not have grown in seventy five hundred oh, yeah. years. There's an entire it's amazing. There's an entire school of thought that believes that we shouldn't even be planting a single thing just take away what's there and see what comes back. Because hmm, it's already there to begin yeah, with. Yeah, like a serious school of thought, like a research Well, I saw it happen. I mean, I yeah. did a story on it. We went back and started looking at this big blue bit, and the, the fescue went, once mm -hmm. these got established, fescue is pushed yeah, out. They can, the natives can out-compete the fescue any day of the week. You just as long as you don't get, mow it. Yeah, as long as you don't mow it. As People as complain, favor, it so. looks ugly. It's yeah. too wild. Yeah. But now they've, they've left it alone. They've put signs up to let people know no, hey, this I, is a... That's this awesome. is an experiment, so yeah. in fact, it doesn't look pretty. Yeah. Tell me about the school of thought. I want to hear about it. The one where we don't plant anything, we just, you said yeah. get rid of everything that's there? Right, right. And so, like, um, you know, in restoration, and here you, you mentioned we have a nice, here at headquarters, we have some nice um, native plantings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we planted all that um, with, you know, agricultural equipment came in with a drill and planted the seed in there. There's a school of thought that believes that, you know, there's enough in there that can now compete the exotic na the exotic non-native plants we have if we just were to go in and take away that stuff, whether it be through burning, you know, burn out the stuff, because everything we have in the East is, is you know, used to burning. Like uh, the Native Americans burnt quite a bit. You know, there was natural mm -hmm. wildfires um, that kept things open mm -hmm. and also grazing pressure, things like that. And so there's a school of thought that believes that, you know, we don't need the restoration just needs to be resetting the clock and making an area kind of um, benefit or be beneficial for native plants to come in, and then they can now compete the exotics. Um, I feel like once I, established. I feel like I agree with that. Like in theory, mm -hmm. I wonder about kudzu. Yeah, know? oh kudzu. Yeah, well, there's definitely some very aggressive. Yeah, you're you're totally right. Like kudzu. honeysuckle and kudzu, like Bush honeysuckles mm -hmm. everywhere. No it's doubt. Just, yeah. What about where people have disturbed the landscape and like uh, out east in the reclaimed coal mines, we have autumn olive and other things that are just going crazy. I oh, mean, yeah. I think that that holds true for areas that have not been. Uh, yeah, where areas where mineral soil and stuff is still yeah. intact. Um, some of those coal mine areas, you know, that wasn't that's not even probably topsoil. It's back yeah. up on there. So those seeds are probably like yeah, hundreds of feet below the ground at this point, you know. Oh yeah, I'd say so if the soil's yeah. been turned like that. Yeah, but that no seed doubt. bank will just stay in there like what we have happening yeah, in Yeah, if it's undisturbed, yeah, like you said, it's a riparian corridor, so it probably wasn't farmed, it probably wasn't this or that, you know. But it's just mowed. Just mowed, to exactly. Make it look right. Out there yeah, in those, uh, those coal mines out east, they'll probably have some of the coolest fossils in a couple million years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know? no doubt. You think about all the stuff under that rock. Yeah, no doubt. 
So, Lee, one thing we mentioned earlier, you said you had written down, was that uh, some streams in the headwaters are fishing hot right now. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about salt. I'm sure that it, the Dix River above Harrington's probably doing the same thing. Nolan's probably fishing really well. Sounds like white bass are, are making a move. And I think some hybrids mixed in with them. And sauger, and sauger too. Uh, and I, I haven't heard sauger yet, but I know they're probably along, don't so you think? They probably come, come around a little bit later. Um, but yeah, here soon. So basically the same thing that we talk about in the spring with the white bass run, I'd go ahead and start applying it. If you're looking for a way to get outside and go fishing, I mean, the creeks are slowing down like Elkhorn, Floyd's Fork. Uh, yeah. A lot of them We're are about done there. pretty much done, but they're so low. It's 50 CFS on Elkhorn. Right you, now. you still got a chance to go out there and catch some fish in moving water is mm -hmm. what I'm getting at without yes. having to have a boat. You know, you can go out there and bank fish. I plan on doing it soon. I think we might actually go out there for the show next week. I plan week. on doing it all week because I'm going to be in the Arkansas Ozarks next week. <laughs> I'm going to be going for five days. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a combination of mainly spinning gear, but I'll throw my fly rod. We're going to float the Buffalo River on a float I've never done before, so it'll be new water. Slow, but floatable. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, before we end here, talk about what's coming up on this week's show. Um, it's a segment. It's uh, basically a group hunt. And it's the first time we've ever done something like this, and it was fun to shoot, and it was it was fun to put together. Um, we had three people who were new hunters. One one woman, Megan, had taken a few deer before. We had another guy named Joel who went through the field to fork classes and had not harvested a deer, and then a, a guy from Louisville named Anthony who had never deer hunted in his life. And we got them all out on a farm. We got them all in blinds, and we got a camera guy with each one of them, and we're kind of following, you know, this hunt from three different. Do I know this from, Megan? Megan Martin. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. No, that okay. might be our Megan. She went through the bow classes and stuff like that. She was she really nice. Awesome. Oh, you'll have to watch and find out. Oh, I will nice. say two out of three got deer. And nice. so... Uh, a lot of action? Yeah. And I mean, 150-inch bucks uh, seen, not killed. Oh, but, um, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it was fun to, to film, and all those guys had a had a really good time. And so that's coming up on this week's show. I'm looking forward to it getting on YouTube and Facebook next week so the people who you know can't sit down in front of the TV and watch it have a chance to watch it, too on the uh, Kentucky Field YouTube and Kentucky Field Facebook pages. And with it being opening weekend of muzzleloader, you know, I'm curious what viewership's like. Um, obviously, it's getting dark, you know, and plenty of time to make it back and watch at 8.30, but mm -hmm. if you get you one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, about 6.45 it's looking like. It's, well, you know. 7.05 was sunset last time I went hunting, so that's legal shooting light, 7.35. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and it's it's changing quite a bit. I mean, Quickly. maybe a minute and a half a day or so. It's amazing. So you're yeah. talking about if you go one week without hunting, when you get out there, you're talking about the day being, you know, almost 10 minutes shorter to 12 minutes I was grilling the other night, and I was like, oh, I've got to get a flashlight, and it's I'm just now grilling at normal time. Right. Boo. No, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, great, but boo, too. I love yeah, fall, but, you me know. Too, me too, me too. I don't like uh, 5 o'clock. Yeah. Waking you know, up, start, getting off work, going to start. bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got to, it, it was dark when I got here this morning. I came in a little early, still dark out. Not fun, but uh, as long as it's like comfortable outside, I can deal with it. It's when it's uncomfortable, like in, in December and January, and the days are short. That's when I'm kind of miserable. Yeah. Right, right now, I'm still happy, that. but like from the beginning of bow season in early September. When I left work, I was thinking, how am I going to kill some time before I go get in the deer stand? Okay. And now it's like, man, i got to rush. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be late. Because, I mean, it, let's think about it. So in the summer, I mean, early September, we're talking about 9 o'clock sunset, or, I mean, mm -hmm. 845 sunsets. Mm -hmm. So we're an hour and a half shorter on either side of the day now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy how much, how quickly it changes. When's oh, the flip? Yeah. December 21st, usually, right? No, are you I talking mean, about? Daylight saving. Daylight first saving. weekend of November, isn't it? Yeah. I can tell you. I got a calendar. Let's see. Well, that's our calendar, so it may or may not be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I have something to do with that, so, you know, I, I just pull stuff out of my hat. No. <laughs> I'm just glancing around. I don't see it here, but hey, you know what? You can Google that. That's all yeah. available on Google. I know they moved it up. You know, they, they lengthened daylight savings time. Um, right. Fall Magazine, Lee. I know you guys just, are, are like just getting the articles and stuff together. Any idea when I might be able to see that hybrid piece? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh that's for next year. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah hit them with it when they still have an opportunity to go do yeah, it. Yeah, but that'll yeah, probably yeah. run next summer. 
yeah. for, for fall fabric. We do that sometimes with the TV show where we'll go out. Like last year, we got a fall turkey hunt. And, um, I mean, that season so... That makes sh- everything so much easier. I'm going to ride it, like, during downtime here soon while it's still fresh in my mind. Well, that's a great thing about wildlife. I mean, they're, the COVID isn't going to shut them down next year. They're still going to be out there doing pretty much the same thing. No doubt. And um, so, like, last year, we got a fall turkey hunt. That season's only a week long. So by the time we got it produced on the TV, we were like, well, we can either air this right now and show people what they could have done a week ago, mm-hmm. or we can mm-hmm. hold it and air the week before mm-hmm. next week and give people That's an idea. That's what we're trying to yeah. do. Oh, yeah. Get a little ahead. And yeah, fire we up. We got glory day. You know, yeah. It was great. For fishing and things like that. And the th- light for photographs was just perfect. It for, was beautiful early morning light. For fishing and deer hunting and things that have a longer season or a longer time you get out there and do it, it doesn't matter as much. But those short windows and short opportunities, I mean, sometimes it just makes sense to hold on when, to them. When will the hybrid... Uh, bite kind of taper off. How much longer? It's, it's are, we, are we on borrowed time already? It's um, mid-October, yeah, mid-late October. And I'm not the hybrid expert guy, but I mean, the guys that I talk to that I consider to be experts. And then they disperse to parts unknown during the winter, yeah. pretty much. Right Correct. now, there is a smallmouth run going on, though. There? So, yeah. So basically, what's happening is those smallmouth, like you were talking about elkhorn being no good right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's That's not just, just so low. I, mean, it's I floated just, it at 70 CFS, the upper what we call the gorge, and that was pretty much me dragging my boat 40% of the time and floating 60% of the time. Well, it's, it's really not just how low the water is. I mean, those fish want the preferred water, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of times they're pushing down into the rivers. And uh, so if you could find a way to target them down there, there's that photo of that yeah. bear sitting on the elk, by the way. Um, That's a nice rack on that elk. It was a big 6x6 six six or 7x7. Seven seven. But... Um, so uh, there is a smallmouth run that takes place at, like, I bet you Lock 4 down at uh, Kentucky River is probably holding some of your elkhorn smallmouth right now. Uh, yeah, well, they, years ago when I first started, a, a biologist um, did a tracking study, and um, she tagged quite a few smallmouths, and uh, they shocked them of different age structures and whatnot, and she noticed uh, that a lot of them, as, especially when it gets low and gets the winter, goes out in the, in the lower part of the creek, they go out into the Kentucky River and spend the winter. A lot yeah, of your bigger too. ones. Yeah. Oh, really? Down the deep oh, runs? Right. Yep. Yeah, so I was going to show you that. So this is October 12th, so I mean, that mm-hmm. was what, three days ago? Yep. So I mean, you can see they're still oh, catching Ooh, them. Oh, nice. Is uh, that nice shocking too. or is that hook and line? Oh, hook and line. line. <laughs> Whoa. You, smacked them. you can catch more down there with the hook and line than you can with the shocking boat. Mm-hmm. This is that guy. Yeah, I saw that picture. Yeah. <laughs> that was a crappie rod. <laughs> yeah. Did he land it? Yeah, 15-pound blue. Wow. All right, guys, let's uh, let's call it quits. I got some stuff to get taken care of. I do, too. I got to get in the deer. In I've the got to get the talk Saturday morning because uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I volunteered you. All right, <laughs> Chase Cody. Chase got me. Uh, appreciate <laughs> you coming by, Cody. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Good luck. It was a great one, man. Uh, Th- thanks, Lee, as always.